I'm a believer in this case, right? <laughs> in the Justin Belieber kind of way. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess you guys are just too pissed off to continue the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we got nothing to say. Yeah. Okay. Like, oh. I, I have a question. I have a question. <laughs> So hey everybody, welcome to episode 169 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by a very sad Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And I'm joined by an even more sad Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> rumble, rumble, rumble. All righty. So uh, let's start off with the Ask MTJC. I had another exchange with Alan Edmonds, Alan J. Edmonds, in fact, um, about uh, the accessibility options that I I mentioned last week. Uh, I think I missed a step here. Uh, I mentioned that I had my iPhone um, six set up so that whenever I triple tapped on the home button, it would open. Up, it would present me with a, a uh, an action sheet that would let me choose to either go to the magnifier or to the voiceover. And because I use voiceover all the time on my phone, and one of the things that I found this was just a way of if I accidentally double tapped on the home button um, it, when I was actually just trying to do like get to the you know the the application switcher. Um, um, often I would do a triple click instead and um, my phone would think I wanted to use a voiceover. So by going into uh, a second session settings, which is under accessibility, but it's called accessibility shortcut, you can pick which shortcuts you want to turn on and off with that action sheet. And so what I had done there is chosen magnifier and voiceover into those two. So we uh, back and forth, Alan and I were chatting about that. Um, and actually he did, it's funny because he did the same thing I did on my, at one point when I first got my iPhone 10, um, I inadvertently turned on voiceover and believe it or not, it's if you don't know how to turn it on and off, it's almost impossible to figure out how to turn it off. So at one point, uh, I think I turned on the magnifier and I and I scanned a sticky note saying, "Help! I'm stuck inside the magnifier" because I couldn't figure out how to get how to turn it off. But I have subsequently found out how. But so that was my follow up on um, using the uh, accessibility shortcuts to sort of create that action sheet, so you can pick and choose which accessibility options you want to turn on and off. Super handy if you're doing uh, voiceover testing from time to time, and you don't you don't want to accidentally get in there. Um, another uh, follow-up piece was actually between uh, Greg Keo and us, and he just posted back to us that um, on our discussion about crypto, crypto cryptography and, and encrypting email, um, yeah, I think I misspoke on the show when I sort of said that I would use Mark's key to encrypt my mail. In fact, I would use my own key to encrypt my mail. So A encrypts and then B decrypts by getting A's public key. Um, so uh, as Greg points out correctly, that you only need to have one key to decrypt in that the public key of the person who encrypts the key, which is the same thing with uh, SSL. Private key. Yeah, sorry? The private private key key encrypts, but the public key is the one that's used to unlock it. No, no, no. Other way around. Public key is used to encrypt. Private key is used to decrypt. So how do they get my private key then, Mark? They don't have your private key. They have your public key. Okay. So if I'm sending the message to you, I'm encrypting the message. So what what key am I using to encrypt it? Public key. Your public key. Public. Okay. Sorry, their public key. Right. Okay. So if if you, if it was if you could decrypt with a public key, it wouldn't be secret, yeah. right? Anyone can. Right. Oh, I see. What you're saying, yeah, yeah. So you for you to send me a message, yeah, you have to have my public key. So you use my public key to right. decrypt it, and then I use my private key to decrypt it. Then I send you a message, so I have to have your public key, right? Use your right. public key to 
encrypt it and then you use, you use your private key to decrypt it. Now, signing is the other way around. Uh, if I want to sign some digitally sign something, I use my private key. So only I can encrypt with my private key, but anyone can use my public key to decrypt and see that it really was validly signed by me. Right. Okay. Yeah, it gets a little confusing because of the term key for both of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I've seen people draw it out, it becomes a little easier, uh, not in the signing one, but in the uh, secretly send me stuff. If you think of right. one of them as being like passing out combination locks, it's like, dude, like use this combination lock when you want to send me stuff because I know how to open it. Right. So I didn't misspeak last week when I said that I needed your key to encrypt and, and key loosely public or private. Um, I would need your credential to, to encrypt it so that you could decrypt it, right? Um, yeah, you need my public key. I use your public key to, to encrypt? Yes. And use your, pri- your private key to decrypt. And, and of course, private your pro- public key has enough secret sauce in it to be able to understand that your private key can decrypt, right? That's weird. Right. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, and Jaime, you have some follow-up here from um, Sean Marston in over there in the UK? Yes. Um, this is apparently in reference to something you might have said regarding the Apple Watch. Uh, I, yeah. I think we were talking about, you know, generally is, is something worth it when there's uh, just difference in materials, but things are relatively, the, you know, close to the same. And uh, he has a contrarian view here. Um, the, you know, steel, steel same watch as uh, aluminum. Nope. As a 38 millimeter series, wait, series two SS black uh, owner. It's not the same. Uh, sapphire glass is a massive difference. Uh, right. How many broken screen aluminum watches on eBay? Lots. And how many stainless? None, which probably a good point. Like that, that, that is something that comes to mind that the, uh, the sapphire display uh, or glass, I should say, uh, would, would make a difference. That's true. Yeah. And, and I did reply to him about that, that, um, that, uh, that's true. And, and yeah, he said for him, it was an easy decision to go the extra step. And I think we did talk about that at the time, that that was a difference between the, the sport watch and the uh, sapphire watch was the fact that um, that you got the protection, sorry, the stainless steel watch, you got the protection of sapphire glass as well. And I can tell you, I'm looking at a scratch that I've had since about maybe two months into owning it that's still on my on my watch. And I have the, the aluminum sport, sport watch, right? So, and yeah, there were mm-hmm. lots of smashed watches on on uh, over the over the years, you know. Um, again, Apple Care Plus, can't say it often enough, you know, texture investment. But yeah, thanks, Sean, for that uh, bit of information. So that's because I was sort of bemoaning the question, w- questioning why someone would, would spend the extra money on a sapphire watch or a stainless steel watch versus um, plain old aluminum one. That's a few hundred bucks extra, right? It time. is about double the money from what I recall. Uh, yeah. I, I might be wrong because it probably varies in what kind of band comes with it, but I remember thinking it was about double the price, roughly. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's not just the sapphire. It's also the, the finish that you get, right? The, I mean, I happen to like the sort of brushed, soft look that you get with the um, I have the black aluminum sport original series mm-hmm. uh, and the silver one looks pretty good too but if you want something a little bit um, shinier I, I think the steel looks really nice for that and if I remember the, the, the part that makes contact with your skin the part underneath there with the uh, the heart sensor on the sport watch it's plastic but on the the saf- or the stainless steel models it's uh, ceramic if I'm not mistaken right so and again another step up where the finishing of the actual um, device is the same so when I said last week it was the same watch technically it's not because it's encased and it's encased better it's got the sapphire screen and it's got the the ceramic back and you know the stainless steel body but as far as the guts of the actual thing it's not a better processor it's not a better you know um as somebody said there are oled screens on the uh apple watches is that true or is that maybe just the third generation series three i thought that was correct that it had oled on there 
Um, in the original series as well, or I think so, but I could be one? horribly the wrong about. I thought that's why the black looks so black. Like when the screen oh. is off, um, it looks largely seamless. Unless you're catching it at an angle and you see the reflectivity. Right, right, right. And when you're yeah, using yeah. the watch, it looks like. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I just fired it up uh, to get the screen going. You, you really can't see the edges unless you're trying to catch it in the light. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's very pretty. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Anyway, but I mean, like I, I think I was probably trying to make the point. Of like going from spending three or four hundred dollars on a on a watch to spending a thousand dollars on a watch, or in the case of I think in U.S. it was eighteen thousand dollars to buy the edition watch in the first series, right? And um, we kind of speculated on how many people would buy those. But uh, in light of the Paris Papers that just came out, you know, last week, I'm sure a lot of people were not Paradise Papers, right? Uh, a lot of people probably bought the gold watches as somewhere to dump their money. <laughs> you know, I wonder what they'll be worth in in resale market back in you know in a few years. Those gold ones. Fair to yeah, speculate. They become a collector's item. They might actually go up in value. It's true. It's true. Of course, if they stop working after a couple of years, they may not. It's <laughs> true. Yeah. You got to hang on to like a combo, uh, you know, an iPhone with iOS that that will not move anywhere. You know, it has to stay right, locked right. to whatever that uh, that watch can support. I wonder how many Gorillac back iPhones there are out there that are still functioning without you know uh, home button problems and so on and so forth. I think mm-hmm. I think the furthest they could go was iOS three, if I'm not mistaken, right? So like these. My, I have one upstairs, but the home button's broken on it. Yeah, but it's funny though, you know. Just just as as as, as my sort of rant of the day, um, I've been struggling with uh, my server for the last couple of months because, you know, I think I talked about the fact that I rebuilt the battery to get it back up and running. But Apple has since they've gone to this Apple Store uh, Mac App Store uh, philosophy, they stopped they stopped making some um, OSs available. Like for instance, I'm not sure if, if today it's still true or not, but it's very tough to try and find a copy of Sierra around um, now that they've gone to high Sierra. If you try and, unless you do a restore with a machine that has a Sierra installed on it, you couldn't find a standalone installer for Sierra that would work. And the problem I have with my server is because I actually have a, you know, it was originally bought with an unlimited server license back when you had to pay like, you know, an extra thousand dollars for that. Um, and then when they when they went to Lion, they had Lion server, and which you had to pay $20 or something like that for. And then Mountain Lion server was again another purchasable server and then I think around Yosemite or Mavericks they they made the operating system the same like in back in the earlier days before Lion you actually had a separate uh, OS server operating system like the Mac OS was different right but they sort of homogenized that when they went to the apps the Mac app store and then they made the server a standalone application that you would then buy for $20 like I said but each iteration so if you have Yosemite so in in the case of Lion you have uh, version 2 of server it, we see Yosemite is version 3.1 or something like that, right? Um, what's after Yosemite? Um, El Cap, I think, right? El Capitan? Yep. Um, El Capitan and Sierra both require server 5, right? So there's, I don't know what happened to server 4. And I didn't, because of my, you know, you generally don't upgrade servers as often as you do upgrade, you know, other things because there's so many dependencies on services and stuff like that and configurations and being able to migrate user accounts and things like that. So so now I've got the server I'm trying to rebuild. I want to get it to the point where, and for me, the, the thing was, because I went to two-factor authentication, it's been a real pain in the ass to not have my server at a level where two-factor authentication works as well as it does on other devices. So every time I go to the Apple Store, I have to enter my my password for my Apple ID and then the unique uh, code at the end of the, like in the same string, rather than having a separate prompt. And the way two-factor authentication works with other devices, you enter the two-factor authentication once, and it remembers that relationship with your Apple 
Apple ID, right? Whereas on the older OSs, it doesn't. You have to enter it every single time you enter the Apple ID. And I don't know if you guys are aware of how often that gets called up in your daily use of, of your OS quite often. But Apple's made it almost impossible. Like you cannot get, uh, there doesn't seem to be any way to sort of buy an intermediate version of Server 5. So I can't, like currently, I think the, and don't quote me on this, but it's like Server 5.2 is the one that's on the Mac App Store. But I need 5.1 to run on either Yosemite or Sierra, right? Or sorry, El Capitan, which is like my server will run to El Capitan or maybe Sierra, but it can't run High Sierra, for instance, right? So it's kind of like they've broken the sort of upgrade mechanism as they've gone through the Mac App Store. Do you follow me? Am I making sense? So, sorry, which version did they start bundling in the server with the OS? Uh, oh, they stopped bundling in the OS. It was uh, around line is when they separated it out to an actual server app, like a Mac app, right? All server. And that was sort of version one or two, right? Mm. So, but now they've broken it. Like, like, like I can't, like, if I have, Yose- if you have Yosemite or you have, sorry, not Yosemite, but if you have El Capitan or Mavericks installed on your machine, right? And you go to the Mac app store to get the server five, they, they can only offer you the server that runs on a high Sierra. So they, you know how the, on the, on the, on the OS device or iOS devices, they have used the last compatible version. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have that option in this case. Hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, if you bought, if you spent all this money on a server or you're trying to support servers, which I'm sure many enterprises are doing, there seems, doesn't seem to be any solution as to how to get uh, these OSs, you know, short of going to a torrent site or something, which again, that doesn't work either because of the whole has to be signed by, by Apple when you buy it, right? So, and it has to be married to your Apple ID. It's crazy, but if anybody has a solution for that, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> I, I could have sworn, and I could be completely wrong on this, but I could have sworn that a couple of years ago, they merged server back into OS X, so you didn't have to have a separate. Oh, no, in High Sierra, you're right. In High Sierra now, a lot of the server services like like um, Time Machine backup, network backup and things like that are, are back in the OS. But yeah, no, you have to have a separate app in, up until uh, Sierra, I think. It's mm-hmm. still, there was there still is a... In fact, in, there is still a server. If you go to the Mac App Store right now and look for server, you'll find uh, um, it's server 5.2 or something, or 5.3 today, right? Mm-hmm. And if you didn't buy... If during that whole process you hadn't forked over the 20 bucks or 30 bucks or whatever, they still want you to buy it out, right? So, I mean, I kind of can take my server to Yosemite, right, because of the age of it. And then, but then I'm kind of like, do I want to spend the $30 to buy the license? And then, you know, maybe it'll work and maybe it won't work. What do I do? Go back to Apple and say, well, it didn't work. And I have my 30 bucks back. And, you know, and it's, it's just dumb. I mean, when I paid, when I paid like $1,000 for the license in the first place, like this is kind of, it's just, it's, it's a broken, broken, broken system Apple's got going here. <laughs> Anywho, that's my rant. Um, yeah. So some follow up items we have here is um, the iPhone. I think I posted this for Mac, Mac rumors is a nice bunch of charts here that talks about the uh, sales volume of the iPhone 10. No surprise that the iPhone 10 outpaced the iPhone 8 series uh, phones uh, after the first week or so of sales. And some nice color charts here on how they're doing. I'm looking at the chart now. Um, first weekend adoption. What color? Yellow. Okay, okay, got it, got it. I mean, the iPhone 6 seems to be the best performer so far, or is it 5? Well, 6 and 6 Plus were definitely kind of a weird set of years uh, models uh, because that was when they had first decided to make like truly larger devices. I mean, right, the right, iPhone yeah. 5 was, you know, a little bit taller than the iPhone 4S, but it wasn't a huge dramatic change. Um, and that was when they, they really, I think, tapped into that desire of folks who had um, decided to go with Android because they wanted a, a larger device that Apple wasn't supplying. Sure, so yeah, there was a lot of yeah. d- demand for that. Yeah, um, but looking at the chart, I mean, we don't, it's not giving the actual numbers, but if you add up the iPhone 
10 and the iPhone 8, combine them all, it looks like this is the best first weekend since the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus came out. Yeah, yeah, for 2014, sure. which is good news. But they're comparing the yellow box, which is the iPhone 10, at just under 1%. Oh, and it actually does have the numbers there, doesn't it? Yeah. But if you, so if you look at the two purple boxes, that's the, those are the two 8 models, and they're sort of seeing 50-50 split. And But but the amount of devices they sold in the of the iPhone 10 in the first week um, is clearly better than those two models combined, right? Right. So if you add up the total number of phones uh, from this year on each one's first weekend, so the 8 and the 8 Plus and the 10, that's 0.3 plus 0.4 plus 0.93 is 1.63. And the only one historically better than that was the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, which was combined 2.3. Right, but clearly the 6, the 6 model as opposed to the 6 Plus, I mean, the 6 model was, 6 Plus was a very small percentage. Mm-hmm. The 6 itself was was quite a bit, quite a large jump. So it seems that the, the larger but smaller phone seems to be better. And the same thing with the uh, 7 model as well. So the in, the, the non-plus sizes perform better than uh, the um, plus sizes by a lot, by a large percentage, right? In each one of these years, 2014, 2015, 2016. Except for the 8 and the 8 Plus. Yeah, where they seem to be 50-50. But if you combine yeah. those with the, the 10, then the 10, if you consider the 10 being a sort of a, a, a you know the median size or the smaller size, if you will, right? It was an interesting poll I, I saw today on whether people would want a smaller version of 10 or a larger version of 10. Like, would you want an SE version of the 10 or would you want a plus version of the 10? Uh, surprisingly, a lot of people on the poll answered when I looked at it uh, that they would want the plus version. But like looking at this chart, I would doubt that the plus would be successful or yeah, smaller. It, it looks like, and again, these are the numbers are too small to, to really conclusively say anything, but it looks like the, the 10 has cannibalized the yeah. baseline sales, but not the plus sales. So from year to year, so the yeah, 6 yeah. plus was 0.3%, the 6 plus was 0.3%, the 7 plus was 0.2%, the 8 plus was 0.4%. So, I mean, that's kind of more or less the same, a little bit of variation, but more or less the same. Whereas the 6 was 2%, the 6S was 1%, the 7 was 1%, and the 8 is 0.3%, where the 10 was 0.93%. So 8 plus 10 is 1.2%. Which is in line with the other ones, and then the plus was eight plus was point four. So, yeah. so it looks like a lot of people who normally would have bought an eight or the baseline uh, bought the ten this year. But the people who are always buying the plus still bought plus. Yeah, and you have to make an, make note of the fact that this is from a uh, an analytics server service called Logistics, and this doesn't represent, as they say here, doesn't represent the actual sales of the iPhone ten, but the number of people who started to use them in the first week. Right. 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 Using the 37,000 apps that have logistics SDK integrated in their system. So, right. Yeah. Uh, two out of the three of these, of the hosts, 66% of the hosts on this show do not impact this. Because uh, <laughs> neither one of us has our phone. <laughs> well, we don't even know. We don't even know if, if, uh, if I even affect them because uh, I don't know if I have any apps that use logistics SDK. So, who knows? Yeah. I don't even know what apps or what apps use this. So, I guess we'd have to go. But anyway, it's just an interesting look at the, the performance. And it's kind of belies what we were sort of saying. Like, I think we were, everybody kind of sort of said, uh, based on what we've been seeing, like the fact that, you know, I could still go in many, many hours after the iPhone 8 went on sale and I could still buy uh, a, a day one delivery uh, iPhone 8 on the, after the first day of sales where, you know, within minutes of, of the door opening for the uh, iPhone 10 last two weeks ago, I guess Friday, um, there was uh, no, no stock available, right? Like, you know, by the time we all got in there, I got in there with two to three weeks and I think you were around the same time, right? 
and Mark mm-hmm. Mark Griffith ahead of us because he's in the the uh, friends and family uh, <laughs> no, just the upgrade subscription service, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, that lot of good that's done. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, so it's it's interesting in hindsight Apple's decision to do this to have the three different models. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds like it it hasn't hurt Apple at all. You know, I guess I think a lot of people were wondering whether the high price point on the 10 would put it out of reach for a lot of people so they'd fall back on the 8 and the 8 plus yeah, yeah. and and then when the 8 and the 8 plus sales were somewhat lackluster uh, before the 10 came out there were a lot of people saying oh apple you know apple is doomed like they always doomed. say uh, talk. and and it didn't turn out that way at all i mean the apple marketing team did knew exactly what they were talking about here and, and yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah 10 sure. is is a home run for sure. interesting. and i mean and the 10 in terms of size like physical size of phone it's close it's closer to the eight than it is eight plus so they haven't hurt themselves in terms of um the size of phone that people are buying right um i wonder how many people who are plus size people that have bought mind you i guess obviously a small percentage based on previous year's performances right but um uh, it's, it, it's i think overall like you said if we add up the eights and the and the ten together they still uh kick ass they don't quite as do as well as 2014 when the six came out but you know they beat the seven and the and sorry they the, beat every year every year since yeah right yeah. which as we mentioned the six and six plus were kind of an anomaly year because there was just so much pent-up demand that i i, I doubt they'll yeah, see so something is, yeah quite yeah. like that again um it'll be interesting to see what the average selling price comes out to be when they cover the, the full quarter that, that covers uh, iphone 8 and iphone 10 because it, the plus distribution was kind of unexpected to me um so you would expect the average selling price to move up just because of how expensive iphone 10 is and the more mm-hmm. it moved up you kind of get a better sense of how many more iPhone 10s they sold versus iPhone 8s and, and pluses. But the plus being, you know, roughly 50-50 with um, its eight brother means that it also contributes to a higher average selling price. That the average selling sure, price yeah, the eight's not that cheap either. Off of really base model. Yeah, I was just saying that the eight isn't that cheap, really, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah it's like 120-ish more for the baseline price, I think. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't have a chart in front of me, but I remember being a little bit more than 100 than the, the baseline price for, um, you know, an iPhone 8. Yeah. 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 This is where I'd love to know what the relative profit margins are on each of the three different models. As if the profit margin is is a lot higher, and I don't know that it is, but if it is higher on the plus and the 10, then that's very good for Apple as a company and for shareholders. If, mm-hmm. however, the 8 is the one with the higher profit margin, well, that's probably, even though there's there's higher sales and higher sales price, the pro- the amount of profit might actually be lower, uh, which would be a bad thing. So we don't know. Yeah. But, and and they'll never they'll never tell us those numbers. So we don't know, but uh, we'll find out, I guess, in their next earnings report a little bit about that. Not the exact yeah, that's coming up soon, isn't it? The earnings report? Uh, no, they just had one. Oh, did they? Okay. Yep. Mm. So the next one won't be till after the first of the year, I think. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. So I think for developers, you'll you'll clearly want to get your apps ready for the iPhone 10 if you haven't already. So, um, of course, you should be using auto layout. You probably should be using size classes. And, and given the way the plus has contributed this year, that it seems like even more so important. And you should be using a safe area layout guides for uh, and don't forget to have us uh, the um login storyboard login screen storyboard as well the launch storyboard right the launch yeah mm-hmm. sorry launch storyboard that's mm-hmm. what i meant yep yep bad spoke bad me i said the wrong thing um all right so well i guess we're talking about the iphone 10 <sighs> Well, yeah, it's in uh, both of your hands by now. Mark, did, did yours? Nope. No. Oh, oh no. Man. 
is. UPS has officially lost it. There's an investigation underway. Oh. Does that mean you have to wait for one, or is Apple just going to ship you out a new one or whatever? Apple says they will tell me in two days what's going on. Nice. But they said they'll, nice. they do have expedited ones that ship. Mm. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Yikes. Is this uh, related at all to the theft that happened in San Francisco? I mean, that wasn't that far away from your area. But what theft in San Francisco? I believe it was in San Francisco that there was a UPS driver who had pulled up to go into Macy's or something to do a delivery and tons of iPhone 10s were stolen out of the truck. No way. Yeah, I'll see if I can find that, that, that article. And it's quite possible. The last UPS saw of my phone or the last time they scanned it was Monday morning at 5 a.m. It was supposed to where, be though? delivered in Oakland, California, where the main oh, warehouse okay. is. So supposedly they loaded it onto a truck at 5 a.m., I think. Uh, and uh, it was supposed to be delivered that night by that night. And Oakland's only an hour away. Yeah, of course. And uh, it never arrived Monday night. So I called them and, well, they told me that, oh, it, it got there too late to get onto the truck. Right. Which isn't true because I can see it got it arrived in Oakland the night before and then was checked out that morning. So they told me a little story there. But Interesting. But yeah, but on Monday night, they said, oh, it didn't make it on the truck for sure. 100% it'll be there tomorrow, Tuesday. Okay. Well, Tuesday comes and goes and I call them again. Still not there. And uh, they on Tuesday night, they said, oh, it, it might be lost but uh, give us another day. And as of today, at the end of the day, they officially say, oh yeah, it's it's lost. Wow. Yep. And it's funny though, like there's so many, like every time when I was at home or Carol would be at home, but she'd be upstairs in the second floor. I swear like the, the I was joking about the UPS driver hiding across the street until they see me leave the house and then they run over and stick a sticker on the door, right? Yeah. Saying, sorry, we missed <laughs> you, you know? Um, and, and I can't tell you that I've heard a number of people say that story. Carol even has a sign made up that she sticks on the front door saying i'm here knock loud you know kind of thing yeah it's it's just uh, I, I i've always i mean apple switched over like when even when i was back in reseller days like i used to have to like you know hang around by the front door if i was expecting something because you never knew when the guy would show up and he would always show up you know when you took a bathroom break or when you you know when you were too busy to get up and, and go to the door or whatever or they just they kind of tap lightly on the door and then they run away it's like you know i don't know but that that's usually the experience but this this is this is sounds above and beyond the level of yeah, it gets worse. You want to hear? Sure. Worse? Yeah. Get, yeah. Tell us the rest. I also ordered a case from Apple in a separate order. Right. And it was supposed to be delivered today by 6.30 p.m. And here it is close to 8 p.m. Still not here. Right, right. And this is the case that was the replacement no, for the, no, the Resofori for you? This was a case that I, I ordered before the, before any of this ever happened. I, I actually ordered a case from Apple through the Apple store. For the iPhone 10? For the iPhone 10. Really? Yep. Huh. And it hasn't arrived either. Crazy. Well, that... that, that that, that surprises me, really. You know, but you were able to order an iPhone 10 case before they shipped or before they were actually on the store? Or? No, 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 no. After I ordered my iPhone 10. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Case. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so it was supposed to deliver today. <sighs> Nice, nice. And to add insult to injury, the Apple Store app gave me a nice text message saying, hey, your iPhone just arrived. How are you liking it? Oh, you're kidding me. I'm not oh, kidding. No. Yeah. It's yeah. not wow. at all related to actual delivery. It's just, oh, nope. it should be there on this day and time. Yeah. Wow. Yep. yeah. That's a bit of follow-up because Jaime was saying last week that they just don't seem to be able to coordinate between their marketing mail and your actual purchase habits, right? Like, you know, I think we all ordered a phone uh, last week, you know, all through at least the Apple 
Apple store. And then we all, they followed up with an email saying, you know what? We got this new product called the Apple iPhone 10. You yeah, know? I've gotten a couple of those. I don't know what I said, but a minute ago, but it was the iPhone 10. Yeah, I found the story here. So it was in San, uh, outside an Apple store in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, three men wearing hoodies broke into a UPS truck and stole over 300 iPhone 10s, valuing about $370,000. Mm-hmm. Happened between 11.15 and 11.30 a.m. Pacific time, uh, whatever Wednesday was for, for iPhone 10 time. And uh, the driver had locked the vehicle after parking outside the Stonestown Galleria Mall and went to a nearby Stacy's to make another delivery. And during that time, they managed to break in and take off in a white Dodge van. Wow. Oh. So today? Well, today? Wednesday? No, no. This was, when is this article from June 3rd? So last June, Friday. June 3rd. What? I'm sorry. Oh, uh, d- d- November. <laughs> November 3rd. Sorry. It's too late in the evening. November 3rd. <laughs> and when did, and so it happened on Friday then? The, the article's from then. It looks like it's Wednesday. I guess they were ones that were being delivered um, to a store. Yeah. Yeah. For the store to, to have its stock. Oh, so they got early. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. you know, but that, that totally makes sense. You know, if you think about it, like, like what, what's the likelihood that the UPS truck is going to have iPhones on the day that the iPhone ship outside a location where the, where the app store is. Right. Um, you know, so I, I totally see these guys casing this thing. Like, like everybody knows UPS is the, the deliverer of choice for Apple. It's like, it's like painting a target on the tar- on the trucks. Right. I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often than that. Yeah. Doesn't sound like that was what happened to mine because no, no, it was, uh, didn't get to Oakland until Monday. <laughs> yeah. But normally like, you know, if, even if you, if you order a product directly from Apple, you'll see it, it'll be like, if it's a laptop or whatever, it gets put on a plane and in Shanghai and you can see it leave Shanghai lands in Alaska, heads down to Texas, you know, in case of our stuff, it goes to the States first and then comes up to like Winnipeg or Calgary and then comes over to Mississauga, Ontario. And then it, then it's put on a truck. And when it gets put on the truck, it's like anybody's guess as to when it'll actually be delivered to your door, you know, sort of thing. But uh, yeah, so like you said, once it's on the truck, it's kind of up in the air. Yep. God knows what happened to it, right? And, and and clearly it's been dropped or lost or fallen off the truck, as it were, you know, yep. in the, the, the vernacular of things that fall off trucks, right? <laughs> well, UPS likes to say lost. It was lost. Yeah, well, you know, God only knows what happened yep. to it. Yep. Right? Yep. It's not like it's they turn on Find My Phone when they deliver them. You know, what are you, what are you going to do? So I got nothing to say about the iPhone 10. <laughs> yeah. Well, still waiting. Like, you can, join the club. I'm not getting mine until the 17th or the 24th, somewhere in there. Yeah, you oh. can be, you guys can both be grumpy about this, this whole uh, iPhone thing. And now a word from our sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have like a jingle or anything. And now a word from our sponsor. Yes. Uh, okay, Greg, this is the part where we do the ads. <laughs> right, right. Are you ready to level up your iOS career, but not sure where to start? RayWinterlich.com has the best and most up-to-date collection of Swift 4 and iOS 11 books anywhere. From November 24th to the 27th, RayWinterlich.com is having a massive Black Friday sale where you can get any of their books at 50% off. Or you can grab the entire collection of 12 best-selling books for just $199. That's an incredible deal. As an iOS developer, there simply is no better investment you can make in yourself. Head over to store.raywonderlick.com to take advantage of their limited time Black Friday sale starting November 24th and ending November 27th. But you know the funniest ones like that are um, the Adam and Dr. Drew show, and Adam Carolla and oh yeah, uh, Dr. Drew Pinsky. Their show they just like mid sentence go into an ad roll. It's very, it's oh, very really? sort of weird. I've kind cool. of gotten used to it over the the past years. But nice, um, nice, yeah, yeah. With ours, at least there's a you know there's a little bit of a pause, a little bit of a break in the flow. So sure, mm-hmm. yeah. 
All right. So let's move on. So this an, an emoji, you know, to be honest with you, I don't even know how to turn on an emoji on my phone. That's such a low priority for me. But, but uh, so you, I've seen a few um, things on Twitter and emojis, but uh, what's this one you've got here, Humming? Yeah. So um, I don't have an iPhone 10, so I'm going to guess based off of what I recall from the event, you have to go into the messages app to, to do that. So it's not like a separate app or anything that you would, you would do. You'd go right into your, your lovely messages app. And instead of sending an emoji to somebody, you would send them an emoji. Uh, of course, using the, the power of the iPhone 10, to uh, track your face and, and do wonderful things like turn it into a you know talking piece of poop. Uh, in this case, um, this is an example from uh, full disclosure. You know, friends of the show, uh, Joe Chaplinsky and uh, Dave Wiskus and, and their band Airplane Mode. Um, I think this is the first music, actual music video I've seen. Um, oh, uh, that's their music. That's playing. Like it. It's, it's their their bit. Um, I have seen other people doing uh, karaoke. You know, little bits on Twitter and stuff. But this is like the first uh, legitimate, like well thought out video that that's gone on there. So it's kind of cute seeing the, the the people do that or the uh, the avatars do this sort of thing. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see more people doing this. Um, I don't know if it's going to last in terms of a, a concept for people to be sending each other these things, um, but it's fun for now. Oh, I think I found it. Is this little guy here? He's trying to send you a text messenger. Oh, there we go. Has anyone done an emoji with the stranger creature yet? <laughs> with a demogorgon? Yeah. <laughs> that would be an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I just sent you an emoji there, honey. Yeah, that's probably a feature I'm not going to be able to, other than doing maybe music videos. But yeah, it was quite a catchy tune. I was listening to that earlier that you've uh, posted here. We'll have a link in the show notes for people. Dance Like You Meet It is the name of the tune, right? I believe, right? I mean, yes, that's correct. All right. <laughs> I hear my voice on your end. Over yeah, there. sorry. The, 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 the <laughs> emoji came in at the same time. You were asking me a question, so it was difficult to try to mute one and unmute the other. I see. All right. Well, real-time follow-up. How about that? Um, so, and, and just speaking of uh, funny bits, uh, I don't know if you guys as we've seen the Samsung commercial uh, mocking the iPhone buyers. Um, somebody pointed out that the fact that Samsung has gone to the length of, of creating this video, that they're they're clearly worried about the market share of the iPhone 10 or the success rate, but uh, they put out a commercial mocking the uh, people. Uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's sort of a, um, a video about a guy who, who's been buying the Apple product all along and his girlfriend's got this amazing Samsung phone with the stylus and they both fall in the water and he has to put his phone in a bowl of rice and she's of course waterproof phone so she's able to carry on and but the funny bit is when he walks by the the lineup of people in the app store line and there's a guy there with a haircut and he's got the notch carved into his forehead uh, with his haircut to make it look like he's totally into the uh, into the notch on the iPhone 10 so kind of interesting have you guys seen the commercial I'm watching it now actually yeah I've, I've seen this commercial and from a like branding and marketing perspective it's actually quite interesting because they're it's funny yeah they're not just just mentioning the competitor, they're actually showing the competitive product. Um, yeah, know, they show yeah. the guy with the actual like iPhones. Uh, I think as a as a as a commercial, does a pretty good job of explaining like how, in their perspective, their brand is uh, offering something that you don't get with the iPhone or or doesn't have the same downsides. So, of course, they don't like show an exploding Note Seven. Of course, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, you're yeah. going to put yourself in the best light. But you know, they show how. Oh, look, this thing you know requires um it requires a dongle. You know, so I can charge my phone and listen to my headphones, my wired headphones at the same time. And right, I don't right, have to yeah. do that in, in my Galaxy S7 whatever. Or, or maybe the newer one. It's a, like it has, you know, wireless charging in, in whatever year that is that, that came out uh, before Apple had it this year, right? So I think it, it does a, a pretty good job uh, for the most part. It's a, it goes a little weird when they show the guy with the, uh, you know, I know they're going to call him like the notch hair, but I think this is the perfect example to prove that the iPhone 10 doesn't have a notch. No, no, the iPhone 10 has ears, right? Because like if you looked at that guy's head, you wouldn't say, 
oh, look, he's got like a notch in his hairline. You'd be like, no, he's got like a widow's peak sort of thing happening where his, you know, his hair is receding away from his normal hairline. Right, right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting they have to make that point. But it's, yeah. it's an interesting commercial. But yeah, it's a cute commercial, but yet people keep buying iPhones, don't they? They do. They do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Can I build apps with that with Xcode? No. Drops the mic. All right. Wait, you said that, uh, like that was a good thing. Is that... <laughs> so I don't think that was the best have argument. Have you tried you the build. other IDs out there? Come on. Seriously, right? I was going to say, I'll grant you that Android Studio has its uh, pros and cons, and certainly Eclipse is a dumpster fire and, and not dumpster fire <laughs> development anymore. But, you know, Microsoft's got some good tools, man, like Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code or... Which you can use for Swift. Yeah, yeah, but I can't build to my iPhone with it yet. Um, all right, so I put this wait, in wait, here. Wait, hold on. So the, the 30 second segue here. So, or, 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 or sidebar. So, yes, you, that's true. You can't build for your, your iOS devices. But let's say that instead of Xcode, the only option you had was the um, little like torture device thing that uh, Stamets from Star Trek Discovery has to deal with. Spoilers for that show, by the way, if you haven't caught up. Um, it, when he's engaging the spore drive, would you be like, right, oh, look, yeah. like this, this is great. It's like, that was a terrible option. <laughs> it causes you pain every time you use it. I feel yeah, like that's yeah, my yeah. relationship with Xcode uh, for the most part. It's poking and prodding me every time. But it does have really good refactoring this time. So I'm, I'm happy about that. It gives me some euphoria. What, the the Xcode 9, you mean? Yeah, the, the, the refactoring stuff is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It has I'm, its moments. I'm getting happier with Xcode 9, at least Xcode 9.1. This may be just my imagination, but it seems to me that building in Swift is way faster now than it was in earlier versions of Xcode. Anybody else seen that? Yeah, that may be true. I think I think that, uh, yeah, it's, it, the compiler doesn't seem to take as long, I mean, uh, to sort of go through and, and check your code. And like I said, I don't know if you tried turning off that live uh, live preview that I talked about last week, the live warnings. Um, I haven't yeah, it does. That, but even without that, it still seems way faster to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm using a mix of it because I use I use the um, I use I uh, Xcode nine at home, and I use and we're still using older versions of Xcode. I'm sorry, nine point one at home, and older versions of Xcode at work. But um, mm-hmm. and I do notice a difference in in terms of uh, in terms of feedback, definitely for sure. One for one, um, it doesn't seem to be. I, I mean, I haven't had as many crashes and that kind of stuff. If that makes sense, right? Yeah. And so we used to get with the older versions of Xcode. So yeah, not as much. Well, certainly Xcode nine was it or was it? Yeah, exploit nine point zero point one was pretty awful from my point of view. It crashed a lot, was slow, and uh, and just all around bad. But nine point one seems a whole lot better for me. So if anybody out there has any experience with this, and let us know, you know, tell us tell us what you're seeing. Yeah, are we are we imagining it or was it just better? Yeah, I have to sit down and, and clock it at some point and compare the two. I I didn't notice it to be faster, but that doesn't mean it isn't. It just means <laughs> I probably got used to like, all right, hit build, go off and do something else while I wait for it. Right. Maybe it actually came back before um, before I would have realized. I'd have to change my habits. Right, right. I'm just uh, trying to get a note here for your uh, comment there, Jaime, about the fact that it is, wait for it, a displacement activated spore hub drive. Oh, there we go. Real time follow up. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, put this thing about UPS and blockchains because we were just talking about Mark and his lost iPhone. But uh, kind of interesting that we we're talking, following up on blockchain. And uh, so, what is, what is, 
is uh, UPS using blockchain for now? So my understanding is that you're using it for um, the shipping side of things. So uh, I'm, it's not entirely certain to me. So they can validate that the phone is lost faster? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. That was, that was why I jokingly said that when Mark was having his uh, initial issues. Um, but I think in, in real terms, it's supposed to have this sort of like single source of truth where you have this, you know, distributed ledger that will tell you like, where is this thing? Like who has it? You know, what's right, the right. perception of it versus what I assume is, is the case now where you have multiple databases across different shippers. Like, oh no, um, our company doesn't have it. That's this other company. No, we don't have it anymore. Our records show it goes somewhere else. And so it can be sort of time consuming to figure out, well, where the heck is the darn thing versus having, um, you know, a blockchain set up to say, all right, this was moved from here to here. This was moved from here to there and give you, you know, this way to track things. I think we've mentioned using something similar for like figuring out where, um, where food came from. So if there's a recall of some sort, you can say, oh, holy smokes, like you know, these Brussels sprouts have gone bad. We need to do something about it. Yeah. It's too bad that uh, criminals aren't like the criminals in James Bond movies that use, you know, barcode scanners and inventories and, and checklists and stuff. So we could use the blockchain to find out where Mark's phone is, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, bump. So here we are. We're at the main part of the show. We're going to talk about the iPhone 10. You've got a guided tour video here for us to peruse. Yeah, I don't know if anybody else has seen this by now. Um, I saw this on YouTube um, on the official channel for Apple, which didn't even know they had. I've seen you know various Apple-related videos on there, or copies of WWDC and stuff, or keynotes. I've never actually seen you know like an official Apple channel, but in this case, I think it was well timed because they have a video called um, a guided tour for the uh, the iPhone 10 that shows you sort of how to get around, right? Because there are many differences in the user experience for you know how do you even you know unlock the device, right? You know we've gotten used to Touch ID for a long time, but Face ID and the way that it works is quite a bit different. Um, where your notifications uh, shade comes from and where your control panel comes from is also a little bit different from the 10. And of course, the, um, the lack of a home button as replaced by the home indicator um, functions quite differently as well. So I thought this was a pretty good way for people to sort of quickly understand like, all right, you've just unboxed this iPhone 10. What in the world are you supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I'm going to talk about the iPhone 10 a little bit later, but um, definitely is a paradigm shift. And, and I will be honest, I did check out this video uh, probably like half a day into using the iPhone 10 because there were a few stumbling blocks initially trying to figure out where things are and, and how to use them. So this was helpful. It wasn't quite as insightful on some of the things I was actually looking for. Um, I had to go to Rene Ritchie's um, Twitter feed to sort of find some more answers out as well because he's been, I guess, for the last couple of weeks as you know, he had the, his review copy of the phone and once the embargo got lifted, he was tweeting out sort of little tips every now and then, which was handy. Um, and I think other people have now tweeted out a few things as well. But uh, it definitely is from having spent, you know, how many days have I had this thing? Like four days. Uh, it's definitely a paradigm shift in terms of how um, how you use the phone and how you interface with it. And um, like I said, I'll talk about that in a bit more. But yeah, so this this video is pretty good. And we'll have a link in the show notes for people who are getting their iPhone 10s or want to get ready for their iPhone 10s. Um, it's quite different watching a video than it is actually using it, of course. But, you know, and I think everybody will sort of use it differently than, than uh, we'll all have similar paradigms, but we'll, we'll be using it quite differently each individually, right? Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see how people end up doing multitasking on the iPhone 10. Um, yeah. When you have options, right, you can uh, pull up and sort of pause halfway up the screen. So instead of going mm-hmm. all the way up, which would, I guess, take you home, mm-hmm. um, you can sort of like flick through, um, or I guess more like scrub sideways horizontally on the home indicator. And then I've also seen videos of people doing sort of a, the little semicircle arc going back and forth between yeah. apps. Um, the tip of the day is an inverted J, right? If you, if you swipe up from the from the 
the home area, right, the, where the home bar is, and you kind of do an inverted J, it it uh, it kind of dismisses the current app, but it also brings up the uh, the swipe mode between multitasking, so you can swipe back and forth between the apps. That's sort of I got that one from Ryan McLeod, the um, author of uh, Black Box. He posted that one. Yeah, the inverted J is is that's uh, that tip was probably the the number one tip for me this week, though. So Tim, since you're the only one with an iPhone 10 in hand, let mm-hmm. me ask you this: mm-hmm. uh, yep. as you look through all of the apps that you've got installed on your phone, uh, how are they looking? I mean, are, are a lot of them, is the notch causing a problem in a lot of them or or have most people accounted for this already or? Um, no, I mean, it letterboxes, right? Like if you yeah. if you haven't um, prepared your phone for, uh, sorry, prepared your app for the iPhone 10 specifically, it letterboxes. The notch is, the notch is inconsequential. It, uh-huh. it just, just, just doesn't get in the way. I've got a couple of, I've seen a couple of cases where the navigation items, the navigate, you know, the bar button items kind of crowd the the notch, um, which you're not supposed to. If you're using size, if you're using safe area and and uh, size classes properly, it doesn't do that. But I've seen I've seen that in some of my own apps too, right, where the mm-hmm. those items crowd it. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally speaking, yeah, you can tell it's not like you know when the iPhone six plus came out and the iPhone six came out and and you had that sort of scaling up um, keyboard kind of a thing happening, you know, like and so it was very obvious that somebody hadn't prepared their phone for their app for that particular phone, that particular size. Right. Um, it's not as evident in in using the iPhone 10, right? Like um, as you look at other apps, um, you know, obviously the Apple apps are all prepared for uh, for the device, but um, yeah, other apps they they tend to just letterbox or um, they're fine generally speaking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like things like One Password, which, which we're going to talk about in a minute, that one definitely has has been updated for or is properly using um, layout and size classes and Face ID and things like that. So it looks really really polished in terms of uh, apps but you know for the most part I don't really I, I don't look with any kind of disdain at any app that hasn't prepared itself for iOS 10 I'm mm-hmm. oh, sorry for the iPhone 10 right yeah, cool. yeah. Um, so Jaime that leads us into this uh, post yeah 1Password 7 um, on iOS has, has been updated so uh, to accommodate many things uh, one of which is of course the um, the iPhone 10 with Face ID which sadly I can't give any opinion on because I, I don't have it so uh, Tim I'm hoping you've updated to, uh, to see what that's like and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sort of see bits, but uh, they did some some interesting feature things uh, that I'll get to in a bit. But I think lacking an iPhone 10 right now, as I do, one thing I really appreciate is the speed improvements that they made. Um, I, I didn't think it would be a big deal when I read the release notes, but uh, the speed at which the app is ready to roll with all of your your passwords is actually quite noticeable. Like I didn't have to clock that when I said, "Oh, uh, rather than before one password six, you no, know, you you'd fire up the app, you tap to." Um, unlock with touch ID and then after it unlocks it sort of thinks for a little while before it shows you any content and, and has your passwords ready. Now it seems like it's darn near instantaneous. So I'd be really excited. Oh, so you're that. noticing a difference in on, on the iPhone six as well or the seven or whatever you're using. Yeah, on the seven plus. Like it's definitely noticeable. Really? So I'd be curious yeah. to see what that's like using Oh it's it's, ID. it's seamless on the on the iPhone ten. I'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah it's seem I made a video actually that I was going to post on Twitter for and and include the one password folks there as a shout out i um because i'm setting up a new device and of course you know i mentioned before that some apps you have to reset the passwords like like twitter for instance right i have a number of twitter accounts and so i made a video using the on-screen recording of my setting up a twitter account like like re-registering or re-logging into a twitter account because it had lost my password using uh, face id and one password and it's like it's almost hands-free like it's 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 amazing you know there's like two taps and and the rest is all face id and one password you know super Super convenient. Now you 
cool, see the cool. video, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the other couple of things that I like and I mentioned here in this blog post, the favorites and the way that that's set up where I have a few things that I use, you know, fairly commonly and it gives you sort of like a nice little um, scrollable, quickly horizontally scrollable UI of like, you know, some bank account, for example, or it might have, mm-hmm. I don't know, what's your mother's maiden name and what was your best friend in high school? Sort of you know, things that you might want to copy and paste into um, like a password or a, a login screen. Uh, right. and, and related to that is the quick copy, which is, is pretty neat where, you know, I, I definitely prefer it when apps support whatever standard it is that, that one password is one of them, like the password manager sort of extension thing where rather than typing in my username and password, I could just hit the little button and then it brings up the, the little like sharing sheet sort of thing. And I can choose uh, in this case, one password for whatever I'm logging into. Um, there are many apps that do not support that. So it, it is kind of a hassle to, you know, go in, get my login, copy that, go over to the app, paste it in there, go back to the one password app, you know, possibly scroll to see with the password, copy the password and bring it back into the other app. Here, um, when you go back and forth between the apps, it just like smartly copies into there. So yes, you do have to go back to one password, but it just means go in and then come right back out the other app and it's ready to roll in your clipboard, which is pretty nice. It doesn't seem like much, but when you do it like a ton of times, it definitely saves you a lot of uh, a lot of frustration. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I mean, I, I highly recommend people use a password manager. Um, one password is one that I happen to like um, and they've made it nicer. Yeah. Here, I'm just going to send you this video here so you can have a look and see what I'm talking about. There's, there's a pause, a couple of pauses in the middle of the video, but, but otherwise it was pretty straightforward. Or let me just see it. So what you'll see here is that, so I'm looking at the, the account for um, uh, iOS Apps Canada. I don't ha- I didn't have the password entered in Twitter. So when I tapped on it, it uh, mm-hmm. literally, I didn't even, I mean, basically I had to tap the one password button in the extension, you know, when you get the sort of screen yep. extension at the bottom. And then once I got into uh, the, the accounts that I have in Twitter, I just had to tap on the one that I wanted. And it, so initially it loads up, it says the twi- tweets aren't loading. And then you immediately go over there and boom, it puts it in and then you're up and running in Twitter in like two taps and the rest is all face ID. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Is the, is the little like, I don't know, sphere, the little rotating sphere yeah. type thing, is that like a standard face ID animation or is that something that they did custom? Yeah, there's there's two there's two animations that happen. One is uh, when the, when you're at the lock screen, but the other one is whenever you go into an app like One Password, um, like when the app delegate loads, you get that little icon, you get the little blue sphere, and then you get the little smiley guy to let you know that you're, you've been authenticated and then uh, you're into the app. So um, we'll talk about that in, in a few minutes. I have a question for you guys about that anyway. But um, yeah, it's it's like super convenient in terms of getting into an app um, that uses Face ID. Even even ones that are just supporting Touch ID using Face ID is, is uh, pretty pretty slick. So yep. Somebody pasted in mix panel. Is that Mark? Yeah, I just did that. Yeah. All right, let's look at that. Let's talk about that. So, you know, long-time listeners will know that we every time, every year around this time, we we talk about the adoption rates for the new version of iOS. And uh, one pretty good source for that is Mixpanel. They gather all their analytics data and uh, and what devices they came from, and they and they publish it on their website. So, looking at uh, the iOS 11 adoption as of today, it looks like it's about 66. percent Wow, pretty good. It's pretty good. It's actually a little bit slower than iOS 10 and, and some previous ones, uh, interestingly enough. But I bet that's because people were waiting for the iPhone 10. Oh, yeah. Upgrading their old phones. They were waiting for the iPhone 10 to come. Uh, so they stayed on the old version. So, yeah. So iOS 11 is 66%. iOS 10 is about 28%. And everything older is about 6%. So it'll be interesting to see if this gets a bump up, you know, within a week or so once, once a lot of people start using their iPhone 10. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, even even the 8, I mean, the, don't forget the 
the eight models also use iOS 11, right? So they would account for some of this bump as well. Oh, sure. And and older phones do as well. Uh, but my thinking is that people who have, some people who have older phones who are just waiting for an iPhone 10 to come might not have gotten around to upgrading as quickly as they would have if if, uh, if you factor in every year the, the number of people getting new phones makes the adoption rate go up much higher. There were fewer people with new phones this year because because of this delay between the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10. So those people aren't making the iOS 11 adoption rate go up as quickly, if you follow me. Right. It's interesting. I wonder, does, does Mixpanel do devices? Because um, it would be interesting to see what they have to say about the iPhone 10. Or they just do, uh, uh, they do I believe they do do devices, but not on this chart. Hold on. Let me see if I can. Here's iPhone 8 and iPhone 10 adoption. Different chart. Yep. It takes a while for this. It the takes a long time for the data to load, yeah. Well, mind you, so the other the other um, site we were looking at, it was I think it was like in the thousands of like 35,000 uh, users, devices, whatever. Um, this one is, um, the last one we looked at was 650 billion uh, records. This one, the one we're talking about right now is 540 billion records. And what does it sure. say? The iPhone 10 is way down at uh, 0.08%. So it's yeah. less than 1%. Key? Yeah. So, I mean, the iPhone 8 and 10 and 8 and plus are, you know, the iPhone 8 is that, oh, it depends on where you look. <laughs> As I move my mouse around, it changes, right? Yeah. They're pretty negligible so this, compared to the older. Yeah. The 7 is still, 7 is uh, altogether 20, 32, 34, 33%. Combined 7, 7 plus, but, but older, generic older is still 63%. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. There's a lot of, uh, well, actually, I guess SEs are considered older in this. Chart. Are they? Well, they're not newer else. Oh, right, right. But they must be. Right. But if you turn off the, if you turn off the, just uncheck anything but the 8 and 8 plus and the 10, mm-hmm. you definitely see that October 23rd, uh, there's a jump up from October 30th to November 6th, which yeah. doesn't make sense. Oh, I guess that must have been review copies, I guess. Yeah. And, and this makes sense with our earlier argument about iOS 11, that the number of 8s and 8 plus and tens, yeah, can't have that much smaller than in previous year the numbers of new phones at the same point in time because the iPhone 10 release was delayed. Right, right, right. Hmm. So it makes sense. Interesting, chart. but still, sixty six percent is pretty good for iOS eleven. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. Yep. All right. So, oh, good. Jaime's got a uh, pick here about uh, Face ID. Perfect. Perfect timing. <laughs> I'm actually working on a Face ID uh, implementation right now. Well, maybe you'll maybe you'll maybe you'll want this particular pick from uh, Batman's yeah. engineering blog. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's not a very long or difficult read. And uh, as they point out, if you support a touch ID, you're, you know, at least halfway there, if, if not three quarters of the way there. Uh, but they cover a couple of things that, you know, you might want to think about. Um, maybe going backwards is, is sort of the, like, why would you want to do this? Um, well, if you if you don't update, you know, with the minor things that are necessary for face ID, you get kind of shamed, right? So Apple has a little <laughs> Do you want to allow, in this case, you know, you know Betterment's app to use face ID? This app was designed to support touch ID. It has not been updated for face ID. So nice. You don't want to say that. You instead wanted to say, do you want to allow this app to use face ID? Enabling face ID allows you quick and secure access to your account. Um, You'll have to add in the, um, what is it? NS face ID usage description. A little string describing like by what, where. Very similar to other camera privacy, touch ID privacy type things. Um, So that's not too bad because you can just, you know, toss those in and key list entries, you know, the the lack of them can hurt you, but the extra ones... um, don't. Um, but if you want to make sure your app doesn't explode on other things, uh, you might want to do some 
something kind of similar. Here, Betterment decided to encapsulate this into something they call their uh, biometry manager, but it's nothing really fancy. All it does is do the normal sort of um, evaluate policy stuff you would do and then has a um, if available check to say, all right, you know, if we're not not on iOS 11, then we know that we're going to go ahead and just use Touch ID, right? Uh, right? If you're on iOS 11, then we need to figure out, oh, uh, which ones do we support? Uh, is it going to be Touch ID for this device? You know, for example, my phone, my 7 Plus only has Touch ID available or is Face ID available? So you can um, handle that a little bit more nicely. Uh, maybe you might have some graphics somewhere that you might want to change, for example. Yeah, this biometry type, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago when we first looked at uh, Face ID support. It's a new thing that's been added to the um, local authentication, I believe, is the cl- is the framework. Um, so LA Context has a biometry type and that tells it returns a Boolean whether it's Touch ID or Face ID. Um, and the other thing, this NS, NS Face ID user usage description, uh, that's relatively new. I hadn't heard about that one until this, this weekend when I was working on uh, updating one of my, uh, my tutorials, actually, to support Face ID. Um, and this is because there is no, there is no, that I'm aware of, there's no P-list uh, string requirement for Touch ID. But in this case here, this is, again, how you update your messaging for the use of, um, uh, I guess, Face ID and for Touch ID because uh, this uh, usage description uh, string goes into your P-list now. Yeah, and the other challenge that, uh, the other thing that's cool about, about Face ID is, so um, when I, I did a tutorial on Touch ID and I'm updating it for Face ID. And the difference is with Touch ID apps, you normally have a little icon that you have to tap on the screen to enable Touch ID you know, to, to sort of invoke the fact that you're going to use Touch ID to log in as opposed to using a traditional login user or username and password to log in. Um, but with Face ID, it just kind of happens. Like, so you would put it into your, uh, you'd have a register notification or you put it into your app delegate or something like that that would trigger as soon as the long, as soon as the screen comes up, you can ask the user or present to the user the Face ID icon like you saw in the video I just showed you for, for uh, one password. Um, and it just, it just works. It's kind of like, it's almost magical in that sense. You know, as long as you're facing the, the phone, as long as it can see your face straight on, then it'll, it'll um, kick into the, uh, the Face ID and log you into whatever uh, app you're using at the time. Um, there's a trick though. If you, if you turn, if you turn your phone slightly to the, uh, to the side so it doesn't see your face, it, you can get it to not um, pass the Face ID. And then if you want to use a touch uh, passcode or what have you, there is also a, a Face ID error screen that comes up. And, and uh, if it can't detect your face initially, it, it, there's a button that you can say try again or cancel. And then, you know, you can get rid of the dismiss the little modal view and then log in traditionally, right? If you wanted to. So interesting stuff, this, this Face ID stuff. I think it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change the way we use our phones for sure. And it's going to change the way we create apps for people as well. That's my prediction. <laughs> Lay your money down now, folks. Anything else? No, it, I, as I mentioned, it's kind of nice that you get support, you know, in some respects um, out of the box. But I'd say folks can take a quick look at this uh, article and see what they might want to do for their app. Yeah, okay. Well, okay, so let's move on to my pick. And I moved this to my pick as opposed to talking just during the main show, but because my pick is the iPhone 10. Um, I am blown away by it. I mean, and not initially out of the box blown away, but after working with it for three or four days, it's like, it's so slick, so well done. Um, the whole interface in terms of how you get into apps, how you swipe, how you dismiss apps. Um, it pretty much is all in, you know, like they used to say in the old uh, TV commercials, is all in the wrist action, right? Well, it's all in the thumb action. You're pretty much, whether you use your left, left hand, right hand, whether you're one hand user or two hand user, um, the whole gesture mechanism with the lack of home button is totally slick. And the face ID thing is like, it's like sent from 
the gods in terms of how easy it is to get in and out of applications now. Even to get into the phone. I mean, like, you know, you've got the whole raise to wake thing, for one. Um, and as soon as you look at the phone, at the top of the screen, at the top of the, uh, just below the notch there, you see a little lock icon. And as soon as it recognizes your face, the lock changes to unlock. So you know right away you're that much closer to using your, your apps. And then just, you know, your flick up with your thumb, just like, you know, Air Supply, Phil, or uh, his name, Craig Fidiridi did on the, the demo stage at uh, WWDC. It is that easy to get into the phone. And then um, as far as, and I talked about the uh, swiping up from the bottom with, the, if you want to get into what apps you previously opened, you kind of do an inverted J to the left, right? So you swipe up from the bottom and, and arc, um, and that brings up your previously uh, used app uh, screens. If you wanted to, to uh, force quit a, an application, once you're in that thing, you just force touch on it, and that turns on a little delete button in the top left-hand corner, and you just go through and happily delete um, the apps. There is a way to actually delete more than one app at a time, but I haven't really got that far with it. But yeah, I'm just loving the whole um, feel of this in your hand, uh, using the gestures and that kind of stuff. It's it's funny when I pick up a phone that, that doesn't have uh, the, uh, that, that has an actual home button. I find myself swiping on the screen to try and get it to do the same thing subconsciously. The other thing that, that so, so I actually made some notes here. Let me go through my, I just have a couple of notes here. And then one is the inverted J, which I wanted to talk about. One thing that, again, we talked about last week, uh, we had, we, we, we queried 66% of our users, which was two out of three people. Joshua Chiplinski, I mean, myself talked about um, using landscape mode. Um, there are a lot of apps do support landscape, but right away you'll notice that landscape doesn't work in, like doesn't work in the springboard if you're uh, an iPhone a Plus user. Uh, face ID does not work in landscape mode, which I found kind of interesting, right? You, ha- you have to be facing it, you know, square on um, and you have to have the phone in portrait mode to use it. That's kind of odd. One of the things that, one of the challenges that I had was was setting up the phone. I mean, like I was able to set it up right away and get apps in there and put passwords and things like that. But I wanted to basically restore my phone because I wanted all the data that I stored in my phone to be available to me. It took me three tries to get um, the iTunes to restore the phone. I don't use the iCloud. I think people who said that they use iCloud backup and iCloud restore, they had very little interference between um, how they were able to set the phone up. And of course, you know, if you erase the phone, you can still do that quick start that I talked about last week where it'll move your account over from one phone to another. Um, but the only way I could get it to work for me, and this may just be me, uh, who knows, um, was to actually back up my iPhone 6 Plus with uh, encrypted backup turned off. And then once I did that, then I was able to restore to my to my um, iPhone 10. So that was one just one criticism there. Um, Face ID is super fast. Um, and uh, the lock button on the side is is super convenient. I, phone, I find that sometimes you, I lock the phone, but then if you gesture, your, if you wiggle your phone or move it around a bit, it kind of unlocks or goes to the lock screen immediately. Um, I've had a few issues with that, but yeah, like from a, from a like paradigm shift, it's just an awesome, awesome uh, device to play with, right? Um, what else have I got here? Yeah, I talked about long press there as well. Um, and gorgeous screen. I mean, like the OLED screen is just amazing. At night, it's really super clear. Um, there's been some talk about burn-in, but I, I, maybe that's just on the other devices that use OLED screens, but I haven't noticed anything myself, but um, I find it super, super slick. Um, I will say I went to Best Buy because that's where I got this phone and, and they offered me um, a Zag. And this is, so this is my part two pick. They offered me a Zag Glass Plus uh, screen protector. Um, and I've, I've used screen protectors in the, in the past. So I always use them on my phones because um, I just don't want to scratch the phone. And um, I've always gone for the anti-glare ones because I just, you know, I found that the, it was they're too reflective. Um, but they're sort of a plasticky material. Whereas this Zag uh, thing is a piece of, gl- it's a glass. It's like the, similar to the Gorilla Glass that the 
iPhones are made out of. And once, and again, I'm also a case user, so I always have my phone in a case. And one thing about the cases is um, because of the way they wrap around the bezel, they kind of um, wrap around the sides of the phone, I should say. They kind of um, uh, push the, the actual glass back away from your thumb. But just having this little, and it's not even like a millimeter thick um, piece of glass on top here, and it's and no bubbles, no dust, whatever underneath it. It just makes it super slick. I mean, so I'm protective of my my phone. It looks gorgeous because it's you know it's still it's pure piece of glass, no bubbles, whatever. And um, as far as you know, being able to swipe on the phone, it's just as slick as the actual glass that comes on the the L, um, the OLED screen as it is, right? So I, I highly recommend if you're looking for a screen protector. I can't say enough about this Zag Plus HD protector. I'm really happy with it. So okay, let me have your questions. <laughs> so when you say not quite a millimeter, do you mean zero point four millimeters? Uh, is, did you go to the website and check that out? For yeah, me, I did. <laughs> yeah, do you well, mean was, uh, oil resistant nano coating and easy yeah, installation? It's, yeah, it's super slick. There's no, there's no, it doesn't doesn't pick up smudges from your fingers. And 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 you know, a lot of times I, I find that I'm using the edge of the phone, like where like uh, like towards the edge, and because the glass sticks up a bit, like you know, I still have the ability to swipe on the edges and stuff like that. So all that kind of uh, stuff is available to me, like you know, in terms of using the using the gestures, right? So like I'm on my lock screen right now, and if I slide up from the left, I get my my traditional notification screen. If I swipe from the other side, I get the, the camera to come up. There's also um, uh, when you're when you're on the lock screen, there's a couple of buttons at the bottom, which uh, people have complained that aren't quite intuitive. But once you figure out how to use them, there's a flashlight and there's a camera button there, and they record. They're a force touch button. So you, if you force touch on the button, it immediately opens the camera. I don't know if you've ever noticed on other phones, we have to swipe to open the camera. Sometimes mm-hmm. it gets a little confused as to what you're trying to do. The button makes it super convenient. And as well as on the left-hand side, there's a flashlight button. And I think you, you might be able to change these buttons in terms of what, what uh, lives there. I'm not 100% sure about that. But yeah, to turn on the flashlight, you just you know, force touch on the flashlight icon and then you force touch to turn it off again. So that's super handy. I use my flashlight on my on my phone all the time. Uh, you know, when I'm changing the oil or I'm looking for something that falls underneath my desk or what have you. Or, you know, just because I'm an old person, I need to light things up every occasionally, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm I'm just loving this phone. I mean, I mean, I don't Have you guys heard me gush about a phone since we've been on this podcast? Maybe my iPad Pro, but, mm, you know. That's a good question. You know, uh, com- like, like I, I wasn't ever really happy with the size of the Plus, and I've, I've made no bones about that. Um, I did like the fact that it has landscape and split view, but, um, yeah, this is, this is, I'm loving this phone. It's like, it's, it's a pleasure to hold this phone in your hand and work with it every, all day long, pretty much, is what I do, right? So, you know, I'm in and out of Twitter. I'm in and out of apps real quick. You know, it's, uh, you know, because you can swipe down to get the search thing coming up and you get the, the Sherlock thing, you get the suggested apps. You know, um, it certainly is designed for iOS 11 um, in terms of uh, maybe iOS 11 is designed for it is probably a better way to say it. But um, yeah, it's it's a super, super slick phone. I think you guys are really, really going to enjoy your phone when you get it. That's all I can say. You know, um, I, I, you know I think every now and then I was I'm working with another a buddy of mine at, at the office who's, he's a, an iOS developer, but he has an Android phone. He's always teasing me that I've made the mistake of getting sticking with Apple and because uh, occasionally like you'll get like something like a, an app won't load properly and you're, you're tapping away but that's you know the app itself right a stucker for whatever reason but I find a lot of times if you just go out of the app and come back in again or uh, it kind of resets it with, a, I guess with the you know Apple will enter for a round must load something or change something change the state and it seems to work better but yeah I love this phone it's great <laughs> sorry Mark. sounds good I'm yeah, looking forward to excited because we're bastards at UPS man they're like yeah. they're kicking you in the gut is what they're doing yeah. <laughs> you know yeah it's, it's a great phone i mean i mean i you know it's 
six months, I'm sure I'll hate it. But, you know, but right now I'm just, you know, I find that like getting used to the, again, what I'm coming back to is maybe it took me a day or so to kind of get used to the sort of different paradigms here. But like within, within, you know, a day or two, I'm, I'm actually enjoying using the gestures on the phone. And, and like I said, it it feels awkward going back. I like going back to a phone that has a, and I still have my other, I have my iPads, obviously, and I have other devices at work and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it's just, it's great looking, great looking phone. And uh, I like the size, you know, as well. And just love it. What else would you like to know about it? I mean, I'm curious about when it ended up happening with your, so when you restored your phone, you ended up losing your, your logins. I'm guessing like you were not logged into any of your apps given that you yeah, no, so, trouble with the encrypted backup. You had to go with the non-encrypted backup. Yeah. So what, so what I'm, what I'm saying is that like, so I have, I have a, I have my backup, I have a backup drive that I've, I've told my iTunes to backup to. There's a way of doing it with symbolic links to tell it to go to a, a separate drive. So, cause I, I, you know, I'm always running out of space on my little MacBook Pro, right? My Mac sorry, my Mac Air. Um, so I, I have a one terabyte drive that I back up to. But um, yeah, and I, and I had like a good engine. I'd gone in and, and done the, uh, the the encrypted backup as you're supposed to do. Like you're supposed to encrypt your backups on your time machines. You're also supposed to encrypt your backups in your phones, right? Like for whatever reason. But I think that I think that my theory is that, and, and I may be totally wrong about this, but I think that there's, it uses something in the hardware itself to encrypt the backup, right? They must use some sort of key somewhere, right? The back to, to encrypt the backup, we talked about this at the top of the show, and um, so what I what I did was you can go into iTunes and you can delete the old backup. So I went in because I mean I had my iPhone six, I had all the data on my six, and I knew, and I also had it backed up somewhere else as well. But um, I have a backup, I have that drive backed up as well. But um, so I went into iTunes and I and then you can go in and, and find the the backup and delete it. So I knew I was making a fresh backup, and then you know you go into iTunes and you click backup and to back back your uh, your iPhone six up, and then plug this guy in, erase it like again reset it you know erase all the settings so it's basically a brand new store-bought phone and um try to do the itunes restore you know like the you know restore from backup kind of thing right and it just wouldn't work and and uh i tried that three times like over through a couple of days right and then finally i thought well what happens if i just turn off the encrypted backup right and so i turned off the encrypted backup did a backup and then presto change i was able to restore onto the phone the new the new phone no problem so that's my theory is that that it didn't work because of the encryption, right? I mean, am I crazy? Like, because it doesn't. Well, use I mean, I, th- I, I think because you have a, a, a scenario. I had a feeling there was going to be something to the scenario that Apple hadn't quite accounted for. Maybe, um, maybe in its testing. Maybe. Because I've I've never run into this issue myself, but I am not doing anything. Um, I mean, I hesitate to call it even exotic, but like off yeah. the normal path, like trying to symlink something to make it look like it's on the Mac, but it's actually not. It's on a separate volume. Yeah, no, I don't think that was the issue because I mean, there there is a there's a whole. I found a whole page like. For on online, a couple of pages. This this is a common error, and I posted I posted it into my Twitter account because seeing if anybody else had run across it. But I just went into Google and typed in the error, and of course, I found a whole you know guy had written a blog and a half on on this particular issue and different different reasons why it would say because it was saying that the backup was either inc- either corrupted or incompatible with the device I was trying to install it onto. Right, so yeah, maybe maybe there's some incompatibility between uh, the new iPhone. 10 and uh, the iPhone 6 plus line, you know, maybe, I don't know. Uh, but it certainly wasn't, it was, I don't think I have a serious doubts that the, the backup was, was corrupt because I kept, you know, deleting the backup and making a fresh backup. So using the same version of iTunes that you're supposed to be using, blah, blah, blah. Right. So it wasn't like um, there was some sort of secret thing that I wasn't doing. I, the only difference was the encryption. Well, I kind of wonder though, um, in terms of eliminating moving parts, if you were to try 
try it. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, have it on that actual Mac, not a separate volume, not it, not anything. Yeah, no, no. That's not, I mean, that's really tricky. The, the back of for all intents and purposes is on the same Mac, right? No, no, not for all intents and purposes. I mean, like literally on the same Mac. I don't have the space for sixty-four. No, I understand. That. I understand that. Like, um, so it'll be interesting when I when I try it myself. Uh, hopefully, in a couple of weeks, yeah. um, because <laughs> mine is like as plain Jane a solution as it is because I yeah. have a, a, a Mac device that's it's old enough where like it's only it's only reason to exist is to be backups for my iPhones yeah. and a couple yeah. other things. And uh, I'll see if I run into this issue. Like I've not run into any yeah. issues moving uh, encrypted backups from device to device. And I'm I've awesome never, I've never, had, a problem. I've never had a problem with this before. This is the first device I've ever had a problem with restoring from backup ever. Right? And mind you, I don't think I was using the encrypted backup, encrypted backup before. I think I was just, you know, because it was like, I mean, the drive never leaves right. my house or whatever, whatever the assumption is, right? But now, now I use File Vault on my on my uh, on my Macs, you know, because you're supposed to do that too. That may be another consideration. The, the the next step for me would have been to try to back up the iPhone six to iCloud and then do a restore from iCloud because presumably that would work because it would be encrypted with your Apple ID as opposed to some other you know unknown key like a hardware key or something like that, right? Um, but yeah, I've I've like I got multiple. I've, I've moved my account from iPad to iPad. I mean, I think I counted last time my iPad Pro is my seventeenth iPad since they first came out. You know, because um, I've gone through many generations of iPad, and then same thing with the phone. I mean, this is my you know um, I've had every I, up until this this iPhone six plus I had enough a new iPhone every year, right? So never had an issue with it before. So I was uh, totally surprised. You know, maybe the file just got corrupted in some way. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe there was some. But then you know the only the only again the only the only thing that worked for me was turning off the encryption. So hey, I'm happy. I got my data on my phone. You know, I've got all my you know my uh, black box scores are saved. All my game center stuff is saved. Uh, all my account information is you know between my three various accounts are, are on here. And don't forget again, I have the two Apple IDs: one for one for uh, my for my iCloud and another one for my store purchases. Right, and there's no way to to enter your uh, enter a game center. ID was was really tricky too, right? When I was at a phase with my backup, right? Because um, it wants to, because for some reason Apple wants to use your iCloud ID for your, your Game Center ID, but I had used my Apple Store ID for my Game Center ID back in the day, right? So, and there's no, as you know, there's no sort of Game Center interface anymore. There's just a little thing in the system preferences, right? So, yeah, and then when I when I clicked on the the option to use iCloud, it's like, oh my God, you're going to be doing this. You'll never be able to back up to your phone again. I'm like, seriously, like they really have to work on the word on their their, uh, their dialog boxes because they sound they sound pretty dire in some cases. But yeah, that was my experience with the iPhone six or the iPhone ten restore. I'm happy now; it's working. I can I can move on with my life. <laughs> yeah, because I took my I took my backup to to the office to even try it there, right? So cause I, you know I wanted to get this thing up and running as soon as possible, and I knew I was going away for the weekend, so I want, I didn't want to basically have to carry two phones. I ended up having to carry two phones as it was because I had all my my stuff on. Like even even the the first app I I, I think I tweeted out this. So the first app I installed on my phone, just in case you're thinking about it, is One Password. Because without One Password, I would be lost, right? Um, so yeah, for, so One Password was when I was in, in the ro- sort of rogue mode, I installed One Password, and then you know with that I was able to you know go through Facebook and Twitter, and so I mean I think Twitter and Slack were probably the first, the next two apps I installed after, of course, installing my mail and stuff like that. All the iCloud, iCloud stuff came like no problem, you know, even even the you know uh, for uh, find my iPhone and all that kind of stuff worked like, and of course the Safari keychain and that kind of stuff, right? But yeah, all the regular Apple stuff was, was super easy to work with. But yeah, still happy. <laughs> that it? I think that's it. I guess that's it. All right. All right. So hey, Jaime, if 
people want to get in touch with you on the interwebs, wherever they look. I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. Mark R at Smapsoft.com. All right. And as I said before, I am Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. This has been another wonderful episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes for each episode. We list links to the items we talk about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. All of these things help others find out about the show, and we really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We are also on Twitter and Facebook. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. You can also support the show by pledging any amount you want on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. I haven't got any encrypted emails from anybody yet, so nobody's taken us up on that offer, Mark. <laughs> I failed to check to see if Gmail even supports that as an option. Oh, is it? I uh, probably have to set it up somewhere. PGP or whatever. Yeah. No, I, 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 doubt they, I doubt they have PGP like right there on the web interface. But I bet I can send an encrypted email. Yeah, it's funny if you Google PGP on um, like key, PGP key server. Uh, there's a couple that come up, but then of course the scripts that run behind the web interface don't aren't running. <laughs> so uh, I don't know what, but there is an there's an open key open pgp key server where you can look uh, you can look up the keys that i was talking about last week so at least um uh two of them came up that uh, two of mine came up but the the, the original one that i had from 2000 like it's kind of funny i kind of want to go find the public key for the, or the private key for that one so i can resurrect that id i think it's kind of fun to have a, a an idea that's that old right my rsa id although like you know who knows how secure that is right <laughs> well what have you got to hide right hmm? what have you got to hide nothing but it's it's kind of neat. Well, I mean, like I had that before I read Cryptonomicron, which is, so when I read Cryptonomicron, it was kind of interesting to sort of see that that was what they were, or I guess, sorry, they, I mean, Neil Stevenson was saying was the sort of state of the art at the time, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's funny, this phone, if it's uh, every now and then it thinks I want to log into it and it just kind of wakes up and like it's prompting me right now to swipe to unlock. And as soon as you do that, it tries to do the face ID thing. I've had face ID a couple of times, it's just sort of like not worked, but yeah, it's like super, super, super quick. Very nice phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, it, like, yeah. I mean, I I always take the stuff that they say on on the stage at WWDC with a huge grain of salt, right? Like, you know, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it, kind of thing, right? But yeah, this is a I'm a believer in this case, right? <laughs> in the Justin Belieber kind of way, yeah. All right, well, I guess you guys are just too pissed off to continue the conversation. <laughs> you know, we got nothing to say. Yeah. Oh, like, hey, oh, I, I have a question. I have a question. Ferraris for you are great. Ferraris are great. Says guy in Ferrari to people on the bus. <laughs> I have a 
have a, I have a question for. Well, sp- yeah. Did you see the Did you see the the video of the guy driving the Lamborghini in the parking parking lot, like in the? You oh know, yeah, I think I know what you're Drives about. under the gate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and somebody posted that's the difference between people who have money and people who don't, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> because those of us who have our regular cars, you know, pay put our our dollar in the thing, and the guy just drives underneath it, right? Um. Yeah. So I I have a question for you guys. Did you guys vote yesterday? Did you have to vote? We don't have to vote. It's not um, mandatory. But yes, no, yes, I know you have was, to was, vote. My question is, did you vote? Oh, no, it's, it's a fair question to, to even ask because I, my understanding is that it's mandatory in places like Australia or maybe parts of Oh, it. is it really? Not really? really certain. It seems like you, you're required to vote. So they have like 99% turnout or something insane like that. Really? Wow. Wow. I mean, there's, there's countries where people like, you know, get beat up if they go and vote, right? Kind of thing, right? So, but they, so you guys had, it was like a, what kind of election is it this time around? Is it just like seats that are empty or whatever? Or what was, and it was, was it yesterday that the vote was or today or? It was yesterday. Yeah, it it varies seven. from place to place. Um, there were no congressional elections yesterday right. because it's out, it's out of cycle. Uh, they're on even number of years. Oh, okay. Right. So next year we'll be voting for senators and whatever. Right. right. For the midterm elections. So, yeah. So everyone will vote for, uh, for House of Representatives because they, they get elected every two years. Uh, senators are every six years. So it may or may not be depending on your state, depending on when you last elected a senator. So you may or may not vote next year. Right. Uh, but this year, at least around here, there wasn't anything really going on. There was no governor. There were no state. Oh yeah. No state mm-hmm. offices. So so I did not vote yesterday. There was really nothing. Right. Right. Before. Like they would tell you that there's like uh, ballots or whatever. Or you'd hear you'd see people with posters or whatever, right? Yeah. There and they said you'll going on. That says everything that's that's uh that's on the ballot, but didn't get one of those this year. Hmm. Right. All right. Well, I guess uh, we'll call it a night if you guys are done for the day. You've talked, you just don't want to hear me talk about my phone anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are great many other things. Was like, I was like, well, I, don't, I can't contribute anything. I was like, wow, that sounds really good. <laughs> Yeah, I got so, oh, hey, so so here here's my question for you guys. Okay, so mm-hmm. so this is where I'm struggling. So, so so I have this app called Touch ID, right? And it's it's basically a, it's like a little note taker, and it has a modal login view that pops up over top of the over top of the, the app when you launch it, right? And there's a login and password, and you can then you can enter a you know username and password, and it saves that into into the keychain, and because it's an app, it's an app that teaches people how to use keychain and teaches them how to use Touch ID, and then now I'm going to add in Face ID. So, so what I've got is, um, so this login view controller has a username and a password. And of course you can, you know, use the keychain login, or you can, if your phone is equipped with touch ID, you know, I, I, I test to see whether or not that, you know, LA context is available. I forget what the call is, but, um, if the phone doesn't support touch ID, I just don't bother showing the button, right? If it does, then you touch the touch ID thing, touch the touch ID button, and then you can push your finger on the touch ID sensor and it'll log you in because it stores your credential in the key, in the keychain, presumably to let you in or or the whole action of using touch id verifies that you are in fact who you say you are and lets you into the app right so touch ID, so face id works the same way so like we said before you put in that string to create the, the connection to face id and then you know then you you touch the the touch id button and it launches the face id mechanism and it looks at your face and does a little spinny thing that we the animation i just showed you and opens up and dismisses the view like dismisses login view and then then you're into the app and you're using it right so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to do the same thing that other apps are doing where you just look at the app, you know, as as you, you launch the app and then when you look at it as it's loading, it recognizes that you're using an iPhone 10, fires up the face ID, looks at your face and then says, okay, it's you and lets you into 
the app. So you don't need to touch the screen to, you know, you don't need to touch the touch ID button. You don't need to touch the touch ID sensor. It just, face ID kicks in and away it goes. Now I've got that going. And what I did was I tried yesterday. So I've got a, um, in the login view controller, it actually has a perform segue that calls dismiss login, right? So I tried to put that, you know, the LA context into the, the, uh, the app delegate in the application did finish coming to foreground or whatever the actual name of the thing is, right? And um, I had it, I tried to call, again, it created an, an instance of login view controller there, right? And then I tried to call the, the segue, but it kept, get, it would it would do the face ID thing, it would go to the login view controller and it would say that it would get, I would get a signal abort saying that the, there was no um, segue called dismiss login in the storyboard. So, and I chatted with a friend of mine, a uh, young kid who does Swift all the time, and he sort of said, well, in his understanding, it's because the login view control, when the app comes into the foreground, the login view controller isn't actually launched yet. So therefore, the storyboard hasn't really been unpacked. And that's why I was getting that signal aboard, right? That was his theory. So my next step was to try and maybe register a notification in that spot. And then, you know, basically say, you know, if, you know, once the login view controller launches, observe that, you know, we've we've launched the app into the foreground and fire off the, the face ID. And I kind of sort of have that working now, but it's kind of, it's a little bit buggy. But so what do you think about how would you guys approach um, this situation where, you know, you want to basically have the app at launch when, when it comes back into the foreground, whether it's coming from, because the other thing I should tell you is when you lock, when you lock the app or when you go away from the app or it goes into the background, you know, I, I um, because it's supposed to be a secure app in theory, I obfuscate the, the screen. So I basically block the UI so you can't see what's, what's currently in the, in the, it's just a note taking app, but you can't really see the current app, right? Current, current note. And then when you come back in from the, when you come back to the app, it fires up this modal login view controller and the way you, you have to log in again, right? Sort of like what, what one password does. So how would you guys approach the firing off of the face ID? Am I on the right track? I would, I would probably put, I think in, you said you would, you tried this. I would probably put a notification observer yeah. in the view controller. Right. Observing for UI application did enter foreground. Oh, add the, oh, do that. Okay. Right. I think I did. Yeah. I think what I did was I added an, an observer in the, in the app delegate the other way around. Yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. No, no. I, yeah. Yeah. So, you know what? So if the problem is that the view controller doesn't exist yet, right. Uh, you, when you get the notification in the did add, did uh, enter foreground in the app delegate, right. You try to send another notification to the, the view controller. Well, the view controller still doesn't exist yet. So that will Right. 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 But you can observe in the view controller itself for, uh, for did enter foreground. Yeah. Now that you say that, I think I, I think that's exactly how I'm dealing with the, uh, with the obfuscating of the screen. It's been a couple of years since I wrote the tutorial, but because mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what I'm doing is I'm looking to see, oh, you know what it was? I, I know why, I know what happened. So because, remember I mentioned the other day that, that, that core data is very different in, in the current version of Xcode and, yep. and score, right? Yep. Well, I rewrote the application from the, from scratch, right? I, I borrowed bits and pieces from the other app, but you're right. I had a notification in here that was looking exactly for what you just said that in the older version that, you're right. I, I think that's exactly what I was doing. So was a notification in the login view controller for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, that's what I was missing because because it was kind of weird. I, I actually got it to work, but it would just it just kept firing the 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 face ID over and over again. <laughs> mm. Like it just kept that little animation just kept going. Okay, it's you. Okay, it's you. Okay, it's you. You know, kind of thing. Mm. Uh, over and over and over and over again. Let me see what's. Um, oh. Did you put yeah. it in the uh, enter foreground in the app delegate or became active? Um, I put it in the became. I did it. I did it in the one that was did. Hang on, I had it in application 
did become active. Okay, so I bet what's happening there is that when Face ID is actually running, the app is actually yeah. going inactive for a second. Oh, so it's constantly so looping. It's constantly becoming active. And so it becomes active, calls the Face ID thing, app goes inactive, right. finishes, and then app becomes active again, and it calls it. So used in right. a foreground, that'll only happen once. Right. Wait a minute. So I've got the application, it will resign active. I've got the ignore snapshot on application launch. That's how I'm not keeping track of that. Yeah, okay, that makes total sense now that you say that. Because, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of Face ID's taking over for a split second and then coming back to the app, right? Yeah. yeah. So would you put that in will enter foreground then instead of did enter did become active? No, you have to, well, did become active only happens once in that situation. So the app is active. I'm sorry, sorry, right. sorry. Uh, did enter foreground only happens once. Will it, oh, will enter foreground. Or there's also did enter foreground, I think. Oh, is there? Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, that's probably the one you want because if you're not in the foreground yet, well, maybe it doesn't. It could be the mm. one. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, but I think I think what I said I'm missing the um, missing the what you said uh, the notification. I'm not observing for that specific notification. The the did enter foreground or will enter foreground. It sounds awfully familiar. Hmm, maybe I lost it again. Okay, well, here, well I'll find it. Okay, kids, I guess we'll uh, call it a night, eh? All right. Okay. All right. So, oh, here it is. I used app will resign active notification for one. And then did, oh, app did become back active notification. Yes. Mm-hmm. If did return from background self show login view. So I could do something like that. And you know, so I, if, instead of my um, app, did it, app, did, app did become active. Actually, I have that in my master view controller, which is, is the one that calls the login view, I guess. Mm. But I want something similar to that. Okay, cool. Neato. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it takes a notification as an argument, right? So app did yeah. function. My function is called app did, did become activate, did become active and takes a notification. So uh, is that a Boolean? Like is a notification a Boolean? No, no, no. It's an object, right? So are you you're, you have a you have a method that has that? Are you who who's uh, calling the method? Are you calling it from the app delegate or something? Okay, so no, in my view did load inside my master view controller, I have a notification, a couple of notifications actually. One that's an ad observer looking at app will resign active. That's for when the app disappears, right? And then I've got one for app we did become active. So I've, I've got a notification adding an Observer uh, in my master view controller did be, app become, did become active. Yeah, I'm calling it from there. Oh no, so that's the selector, right? Sorry, you're right. No, the notification name is UI application did become active, right. and then I'm then I'm calling the selector, which is master view controller app did become active. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And then I've got and a function you can that use did. A, you can use a block or a closure instead of a selector. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So it's self-contained. It's kind of a nice, nice way to clean up your code. Oh, instead of doing it, instead of having a separate, separate method. Oh, I get it. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for that. So here's, here's the last quandary for you.